Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. We've been uh, doing this series, The Way of the Bodhisattva, Shanti Deva's treatise uh, written in the 8th century, um, which, if you haven't been here before, is, is really the, uh, the main uh, Vajri, Mahayana and Vajrayana treatise on compassion uh, from the Tibetan practices. As uh, I've mentioned, the Dalai Lama says, everything he knows about compassion comes from here. That's a pretty good blurb if you're going to write a book. Um, and I've been using uh, Pema Chodron's, basically, there's a number of translations, but I've been using her wonderful book, No Time to Lose, uh, which has the, the whole treatise and her commentaries on it as well. Uh, there are ten chapters, and we are now on this uh, chapter six, um, working with anger, the chapter on patience. And uh, I'll just give a little bit of a, a context. The way of the Bodhisattva, if you, are, uh, if you haven't been coming, the Bodhisattva, this, this ideal of awakening completely not only for your own well-being, but for the benefit of others. And all of the practices that, uh, that all of these chapters cover are done in the spirit of how we can um, develop ourselves for the benefit of others. Um, the, the treatise goes through the six perfections uh, in, uh, in Tibetan practice, in Mahayana practice, of... Um, generosity, virtue, patience, um, energy or, or effort, um, wisdom. Let's see, in the, in the Mahayana, I have to remember how they do it. There's ten in the, in the Theravadan, but, uh, oh, zeal and, uh, uh, and meditation and wisdom. Uh, and the, the first three chapters of the, of the book, of the, of the uh, ten that Shanti Deva writes, are about generosity, coming from a spirit of generosity. The next two uh, are on um, uh, virtue, cultivating virtue. So that carried us through the first five chapters, and now we'll go more um, a chapter with each paramita, and this is the one on patience. Uh, last time... I just want a, a quick check-in uh, where we talked about uh, virtue. There was the, the, the two practices, um, like a log you should remain, remain, that is using some restraint when you could go ahead and do something really dumb to remain like a log. And the other one was gathering virtue, that is doing uh, good works and deeds and words to develop a, a spirit of um, uh, wholesomeness in your heart. And I'm just wondering if anybody has worked with either of those this week in a conscious way. A few. Okay, wonderful. Any 
useful reflection before we start with, uh, with this. Anything that you've discovered or want to share? Uh, you don't have to, but if there's something that's bubbling up and saying, oh, I discovered this or I've been working with this. The reason I want to do that is that so that when we go through this, it's not just a one-way street, you taking in the information, but you actually apply it in your, in your daily life. Anything that anybody wants to share that they've noticed? Yeah. Here, why don't you... Here, wait. Just uh, go ahead. If you have something to share, let's hear I found being log-like quite challenging and difficult. And after observing my lack of log behavior several times, <laughs> I was quite thrilled when I was successful in hi- inhibiting myself and being like a log mm-hmm. a few times. So, it, so, as she said, it's quite challenging. It's really wonderful, along with humbling, it's really wonderful to see how challenging it is because mostly we don't have a clue or even give ourselves an option of remaining like a log. And so it's kind of like using the precepts. When you, when you take a precept, it's not that you're going to be a saint, but that when you have that commitment to act ethically, there's a little reminder. It says, wait, what, are, what am I doing here? And if you go ahead and don't act with as much wisdom as you'd like, it registers and you kind of see, oh, that's what happens when I do that. And so you're learning little by little. So um, I hope you feel good about at least the intention to see, and along with however challenging or humbling it might be, you are making inroads into old habits. Anything you want to share? I found that on those rare occasions when I was able to be log-like, that something different happened. Something different happened than I would have expected. Like, you mean something else came out of you, or what was it? No, the situation developed mm. differently mm. Than, than had I acted impulsively. Mm. It, it seemed to create a space for for something more positive to happen. Mm. Beautiful. That makes sense, doesn't it? Instead of jumping right in and doing your thing, hmm, space for wisdom to emerge or understanding. Hmm. Thank you. Okay, great. All right. So, thanks a lot. So, uh, I think what I'm going to do is just uh, read a few, read chunks. There's four different chunks of this. Um, chapter, or at least the, the, the part that I'm going to read. And uh, I'll read some, talk a bit about, about it, and then if there's, we can maybe uh, do some personal reflections for ourselves. Actually, I'll start with the very first verse that says, Good works gathered in a thousand ages, such as deeds of generosity, or offerings to the blissful ones, a single flash of anger shatters them. Pretty heavy, isn't it? <laughs> I remember the, the first time I, I heard that, I thought, whoa, you know, that doesn't seem very fair. <laughs> <laughs> but when you reflect on it, 
And with all of these, he gives some very strong images that, you know, sometimes it feels like you're back in, uh, uh, when I was in sixth grade reading about the Puritans and, you know, hellfire and brimstone and stuff like that. It, he really wants his audience to wake up. And he's, he's saying this for himself, basically. It's a song to himself and to this audience that he was sharing the teachings for. Wow, a single flash of anger shatters them. When you think of it, though, you might have a wonderful relationship with somebody for months, years, everything is going along swimmingly, and if you really lose it and come out with something hurtful, because you let your anger get the best of you. And you, it can shatter trust. Shatter, whether it's through words or actions. We do the craziest things, don't we, when we are just out of control. It's not that you're going to be going into a hell realm necessarily. And, and again and again, he, talk, uh, he talks in Pema Chodron, and the whole point of it is that this is a process that you have to be very patient with. But just to consider the power of one really unskillful action, or you ever have that, you the, 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 it comes out of your mouth and you just do anything to get those words back in? <laughs> And then for the next, you know, year, two years, five years, or somebody says something to you or does something, and it's like you might build that trust again, and sometimes the crack deepens the connection when there's a healing. But there's a shift there that can take place. So he says, take a look at what anger does. The first section is about the drawbacks of anger. Okay, and I'll read a few of them. Um, No evil is there similar to anger. He talks in terms of evil, so you kind of translate it in your in your mind. If another word works better, you know, no sorrow, no uh, unwholesome state is similar to anger. No austerity to be compared with patience. Steep yourself, therefore, in patience, in all ways, urgently, with zeal. Now, um, the Dalai Lama uh, has an interesting translation. Instead of anger, instead of thinking a single moment of anger, he takes Shantideva's teachings to talk about what hatred does what a single moment of hatred, how it poisons the heart. Sure, we get angry, but when it goes into hatred, it's a whole other level. So this is how he understands and works with it in a a skillful way. So I just offer that to you. Patience is an austerity, you know, that it's kind of an extension of that, like a log remain. It's, It's like there's something in there that is more powerful than the impulse to, to act. And the anger, by the way, that, that Shantideva is talking about is both our own internal anger and 
and not, not expressing that, but also how we are with anger that comes towards us. Those tormented by the pain of anger, you can say the pain of hatred, will never know tranquility of mind. Strangers they will be to every pleasure. Sleep departs them. They can never rest. Isn't that so when you're consumed by hatred? It's really hard to find some peace. From family and friends estranged, and shunned by those attracted by their bounty, men of anger have no joy, forsaken by all happiness and peace. All these ills are brought about by wrath, our sorrow-bearing enemy. But those who seize and crush their anger down will find their joy in this and future lives. It's, uh, there's a, one discourse by the, by the Buddha where he says, dealing with different kinds of distracting thoughts, and he has these, all these different methods, five different methods, and the final one, after you've, you've tried to get into loving kindness and substituting and just relaxing, and the last one is, with clenched teeth and tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth, one should crush down mind with mind. He was a warrior. And Shanti Deva also came from um, a, a warrior class. Actually, like the Buddha, he was brought up in royalty and uh, and left his home. And he had that kind of warrior um, spirit. When you crush anger, you crush, you seize and crush your anger down. It's not done with hatred. You're just using all of that passion to subdue this sorrow-bearing enemy. What are the causes of anger? Getting what I do not want and all that hinders my desire, there my mind finds fuel for misery. Anger springs from it, oppressing me. That is, not getting what you want and getting what you don't want. That pretty much covers the territory, doesn't it? And that is the second noble truth. The cause of suffering is our wanting things to be different, either that they stay when they're on their way out or that they should be different than the way they are. So come what may, I'll never harm my cheerful happiness of mind. Depression never brings me what I want. It's an interesting line. Depression never brings me what I want. It doesn't, does it? And yet it's so easy to get hooked in it when you're in that path, just thinking there's no other way. My virtue will be warped and marred by it, by, by anger. All right, a little bit more, and then I'll come to the end of this passage. If there is a remedy when trouble... Sp- oh, this is great. Okay. This is a, a perfect logic. If there is a remedy when trouble strikes, what reason is there for despondency? And if there is no help for it, what use is there in being sad? (laughs) This is one that the Dalai Lama says a lot. He says, if you can fix a situation, wonderful. Isn't that wonderful? It's a cause of great happiness. And if you can't fix a situation, why keep on 
troubling yourself and beating yourself up about it. You're just causing more misery for yourself. And I would, would suspect that this is where that, where his teaching came from, just that passage. Pain, humiliation, insults, or rebukes, we do not want them, either for ourselves or for those we love. For those we do not like, it's quite the opposite. You know, yeah, okay, let them have it. The cause of happiness comes rarely, and many are the seeds of suffering. That makes sense, right? Actually, I think the cause of happiness is there all all over, if you can take a look for it. But it seems like it comes less often than the causes of suffering. But if I have no pain, I'll never long for freedom. Therefore, O my mind, be steadfast. Isn't that interesting? It's a whole other way of looking at suffering when things don't go your way. Instead of, oh, darn, this isn't fair. If I were running the universe, I'd do a much better job than this. It's, oh, I'm getting in touch with the truth of suffering. And so it wakes us up from our complacency. That's what the Buddha thought is one of the prime motivators for us to find, to look for a way out. So not to bemoan or think that life is being unfair to you when things don't go your way. If I have no pain, I'll never long for freedom. How many people came to practice through some kind of pain or suffering in their heart or their mind or their life? That's how it works. Can you say, oh, I wish that never happened? What a gift that was as a motivator for you. So, the drawbacks of anger, but also the the hidden blessing in the suffering that comes. And now, working, working with anger. Now it's the next part. And there's three different... Um, let's see. Hang on. Okay. Oh no, this is still working with anger. Okay, makes the point how it how it feels in the body. Pema Chodron is making these points. Working with anger, besides patience, you might. First, connect. How does it feel in the body? For you, how does it feel when you're really angry? Anyone just can call out. Tight. Tight. What? what? Tense. What else? Huh? Burning. Fire. Shallow breath. You're burning with anger. What else? Charged up. So all of those things you can get in touch with. Oh, it's starting to come. Here it is. What about your mind? What is your mind doing? Spinning, obsessing, yeah, thoughts and feelings just rapid fire, and then you get on this loop. Yeah, he really did do that. I can't believe it. Yeah, he really did do that. I I still can't believe it. Just this loop that you just can't get out of, right? Those are important cues to get in touch with. 
And as Pema Chodron says, and as I often say, get below the anger. What's going on that's fueling that? She calls it um, uh, getting in touch with the soft spot. And for, for me, when I look at when I'm angry, well, I'll ask you, what's, what's often underneath the anger? Fear, big one. Any other? Hurt. Those are pretty much the, the two. Fear, hurt, sadness. Um, and, but it comes out as this, what is it, uh, honey, uh, honey crest. There's a saying in, in Buddhism, honey, anger is like a honey crest and a poison root. You know? It comes out strong, but inside there's just some real pain going on. And it comes out with all this strong energy. So, to get in touch and get, get, uh, become aware of the, the cues before they escalate, mm, starting to feel, it's so much harder once it escalates to, to catch yourself. And uh, she's got, uh, she quotes Trungpa Rinpoche, who's one of my teachers, um, who, who says, uh, he used to say, when something like anger arises, we should regard it as not me. It's not, you don't have to take ownership of it. He says, just think of it as a little bug trying to land on you. If your mind remains open and free of bias, the, the bug has nowhere to light. So you start feeling that energy, and instead of saying, oh, I'm such a bad person for having the anger, which just, guess what that does, just compounds the whole thing, then you're, you've thrown the second dart on top of the first, as the Buddha says, and you start beating yourself up for that, you just see, oh, this, this energy is coming here. Can I be spacious around it? Can I give it enough space so I just don't jump on that train and get lost? Mm. So, now we get to um, the categories of patience that the rest of the chapter deals with. And there are three main categories, aspects of, of working with patience in the face of anger. The first is reframing our attitude towards what's happening. The second is understanding the complexity of the situation. And the third is developing tolerance. And I'll, we'll take each of, each of these as a chunk. So reframing our attitude. So much of our perception is the way we hold experience. And if we've got our story going, it's impenetrable unless we see there's another way to hold reality. So here's our attitude towards particularly towards anger. I'll read some of these now. There is, uh, these are some perspectives on anger and on, uh, that can develop patience. There's nothing that does not grow light through habit and familiarity. Putting up with little cares, I'll train myself to bear with great, to bear with great adversity. So he's saying, you can have an attitude of you're learning to practice 
little by little, you're learning patience. And uh, she has a, a great example. One of her teachers, Zangar Kensei, calls minor inconveniences bourgeois suffering. We could practice patience, he says, when we arrive at our favorite restaurant and it's closed. You know, these are like the little things, like you're you're lifting, you know, small weights before you go for, you know, the big the big barbell. You know, just just little dumbbells. Oh darn, it's closed. Okay. <laughs> or when we reserve an aisle seat on the airplane and end up in the middle. Uh, not to fret about bourgeois suffering of insect bites, hunger pangs, or the weather. This is, and this is Shanti Davis saying, because fretting only aggravates our troubles, and, and then the little things seem like catastrophes. So you're practicing with all those little things that go, don't go your way. You might just take this as a practice this week. When the little, you know, it's like don't sweat the small stuff, actually. There's a whole franchise on, on this, right? Just the little things oh, great, here's an opportunity to practice patience. It has a whole different way of reframing our situations. And he goes into it. Uh, I do, and, I, and do I not already bear with common irritations, bites and stings of snakes and flies, experiences of hunger and of thirst and painful rashes on my skin? It's like, all right, I can deal with that. Heat and cold, the wind and rain, sickness. And he gets a little heavier. Prison beatings. Okay. I'll not fret about such things. <laughs> okay, he's, he's an advanced yogi. To do so only aggravates my trouble. Uh, um, when sorrows fall upon the wise, their minds remain serene and undisturbed, for in their war against defiled emotion, many are the hardships, as in every battle. So you're, you're just putting up with these little ones. One of her teachers, um, Zigger Kuntrell, talks about the pain of an injection. In the short term, um, they are, if we're not deterred by the, the obstacle in the short term, in the long term, we're learning, we're really deepening our, our quality of patience. Like uh, an injection hurts at the, for a moment. Ow! And then, oh, that's, that's helping me heal. So, so. And here is uh, a beautiful verse on the pain, uh, uh, on the benefits of dukkha, the benefits of suffering, once again. Three benefits in this verse. Suffering also has its worth. Kind of like we said before, it gets us out of, uh, gets us moving towards waking up. But these three benefits. Through sorrow, pride is driven out. It humbles us, doesn't it? Our humanness. And pity felt for those who wander in samsara. When you see suffering, then it can elicit compassion, can't it? And through suffering, evil is avoided. Goodness seems delightful. You're motivated when you see how it works, how karma works, 
that our words and our deeds cause suffering. Suffering wakes us up to see, oh, I don't want to create more of that. So three ways that there's benefits. It humbles, it elicits compassion, and it motivates us to, uh, to do good. Okay, so this is, this is all reframing our experience. Just want to ask you, so it makes it more personal, to uh, go inside for a moment and just uh, play with this reflection. Think of a, a situation where you might get triggered. And how could you reframe it in your mind so that it becomes a kind of stepping stone for you to deepen your ability to be patient. Just imagine, you might even give yourself a practice. Take a, imagine in your mind, see the whole drama. There you are, you know, the restaurant is closed, or somebody says something to you that triggers it. How could you reframe it? How could you, what would you need to remember to see this as a, uh, a source of awakening patience? came up with something, just uh, like to see a show of hands. Okay. All right, let's, maybe we can take one or, or two comments. What would you, anything that you could uh, come up with to reframe the situation? Yeah. Thanks. Alan. Is it Alan? Yeah. I, th- yeah. I came up with, uh, I guess, the kind of classic one, but it's my karma. You know, it's uh, whatever they're saying to me that has moved me in this negative way, then um, maybe if I thought about it, like, that's part of the nature of everything that's going on instead of, like, that's just coming out of nowhere. And so that's just another, that's just another thing that I have to go through that's part of what I bring onto myself. It's not like coming from outside so much. And Uh it's something I have to fix from inside. Uh Uh-huh. So, so no reason to get upset at, uh, at yours truly, you know. So it's it's like okay, from now on, let's get, you know, use it to, like you said, bring patience, not to go in the wrong direction. Continue bringing more. Then great, thank you. Anyone, one last one. <clears throat> How you might reframe it? That might be in a different way than than he said. Yeah. All right. Can you do Deborah? Uh-huh. And for me, it's a way to say, um, thank you for teaching me to slow down. Mm, slow drivers. We'll do it for the tape. Driver nuts. <laughs> and thank you for reminding me to slow down. Wow. Good. Yeah, good luck with that. Fast drivers, yeah. Thank you for remembering that I like going slow. Uh-huh. Great. Oh, one more.
ultimately taking responsibility. Okay, so you're framing that. It's not out there, it's in here. Okay, beautiful. All right, so now um, the second um, category of patience is seeing the complexity of situations. And I'll read some of these. Mm-hmm. Actually, I might read a little from something else. This one. I'm not angry with my bile and other humors, other bodily fluids, fertile source of pain and suffering, though they may be. So why should I resent my fellow creatures, victims too, of like conditions? You don't get angry, well, maybe you, you might. Uh, at your, your body just does its own thing, but it's, who can you get angry at? Just life, you know. Maybe you could get angry at yourself for your body not working better than it does, but I wouldn't suggest that because you're doing the best you can and your body's doing the best it can. Basically, we don't get angry when there's not a consciousness on the other side, but when there's somebody else there, it can stir us up. And I'm reminded one of my favorite passages, this is from the experience of insight, Joseph quotes this famous Taoist uh, poem that really says what this whole section is about by Shuang Tzu. If a man is crossing a river and an empty mo- boat collides with his own skiff, even though he, had, he be a bad-tempered man, he will not become very angry. But if he sees a man in the boat, he will shout at him to steer clear. If the shout is not heard, he will shout again and yet again and begin cursing, and all because there is somebody in the boat. Yet if the boat were empty, he would not be shouting and not angry. If you can empty your own boat crossing the river of the world, no one will oppose you, no one will seek to harm you. That's an encouragement for emptiness. But it also points to how quickly we react when we think somebody should have it more together. Like we do, anyway. And uh, I'll, read, I'll read a little bit more of this. Let's see which ones to read. Every injury, whatever, what, every injury, whatever, the whole variety of evil deeds is brought about by circumstances. None is independent. None autonomous. Conditions once assembled have no thought that now they will give rise to some result. They don't say, oh, now we'll do this. It's just conditions coming together. And that which is engendered does not think that it has been produced by such conditions. There's no one behind the whole thing. It's just causes and conditions. All things then depend on something else. On this depends the fact that none are independent. Knowing this, we will not be annoyed at objects that resemble magical appearances. It's like the whole game is a magical, the Tibetans call it a magical display. It looks like something is going on, but it's all done with mirrors. You know, it's just, just events rising and passing and coming together. 
Thus, when enemies or friends are seen to act improperly, be calm and call to mind that everything arises from conditions. If things... Yeah, okay. So let's just look at this for a few moments. This is really uh, just the way I see it, like Jesus saying, forgive them, they know not what they do. You know, if people could do it any better and not cause themselves or somebody else suffering, they would, wouldn't they? Who wants to cause themselves suffering or cause others suffering? But they can't. Maybe you know somebody, I can, I can think of, of somebody who is really is a good person, but they get triggered from time to time and just lose it. And they are working on their, their anger and their reactions and frustrations. And it's, it's really beautiful to see them work like that rather than, God damn it, they got caught again. It turns it around. This is the, seeing the complexity of, of the situation, seeing how it's all causes and conditions. And I'm remembering um, a few years ago, I sat a retreat. This is at the Forest Refuge. And I, um, my whole history, my whole family history came to mind. A whole lineage from my, my parents and on each side their parents and back and back and back and back. And I thought I had pretty much played out my family on retreats. You know, I went through one three-month retreat. That was the major theme. Okay, well, that's done. And then, <laughs> then neg- another retreat a few years later. Oh, I thought I had that finished, you know. That, well, I hadn't thought about that this for quite some time, but there it was, my whole... You know, my whole evolution, my whole journey, and seeing... But I saw something different this time. As I looked back and I saw, you know, why is this one this way? Or, gee, if only they were that way, and that's why I'm this way. And It was seeing they were just acting the way they've, they, were, they were brought up. And back and back and back for generations. And the whole thing... Um, was covered with this title, one of Trungpa Rinpoche's books, um, which is a, the title says it all. It did for me that moment. The book was called Dharmas Without Blame. Dharmas Without Blame. And in that moment that I saw, there's no one to blame anywhere. It's just passing on causes and conditions and causes and conditions. And if we're fortunate enough to be exposed to some kind of body of teachings or consciousness that can, that can interrupt that cycle, what grace? You know, my parents didn't have that. They didn't go on a you know, three-month retreat or you know, one-day retreat or even take a look at their mind. And my mom has done some meditations in the last years. But when you're growing up in the depression and whatever your, your, your history is, you're bound pretty much by your circumstances plus whatever temperament you bring. Dharma is without blame. Just seeing 
how everything arises out of conditions. So just let's reflect for a moment. Just go inside for yourself. And uh, you might, again, reflect on a situation, maybe even a harder situation, where you tend to lose it or get triggered, maybe from relationships that you've known for many years, or maybe ones that are very poignant or sensitive these days, where anger either comes towards you or you lose your patience and want to strike back. And just see if what it would be like to bring this perspective, as Shanti Deva says, thus when enemies or friends are seen to act improperly, be calm and call to mind that everything arises from conditions. What it would be like to really remember that right in the middle. how that would affect your response, your words, your connection, and the aftermath of the encounter. You might envision yourself embodying that possibility. Just plant the seed of that possibility. Dharma's without blame. Take a comment or two, any insight, any understanding that you might want to share. Yeah. Okay, I'll repeat. When she feels that spaciousness, Compassion naturally arises for everyone in the situation. Yeah. The key is to get in touch with the spaciousness. What helps you do that? Well, I, I mean, in that instance, what I was thinking of, well, this is, what's unfolding here is not personal. Mm-hmm. So just to remember, what is happening is not personal. Basically, it's don't take it personally. Yeah, I mean, that is, it might sound cliched, that is the key to deep peace. Don't take it personally. That's what this causes and conditions is about. If we can just remember causes and conditions, both 
for the, those people or the ones that we're encountering, and also what comes out of us. Think of all the, the times that you've practiced it another way. So it's causes and conditions as well. Okay, we'll go to the last section, which is developing tolerance. If things occurred to living beings following their wishes and intentions, how could sorrow ever come to them? For there is no one who desires to suffer. Right? If we all got what we wanted, if we all we all want to be happy, right? Basically, no one wants to suffer, and yet there's a lot of suffering going around, and most much of it we bring on ourselves. Yet carelessly, all unaware, they tear themselves on thorns and briars. Here's a few graphic uh, ones. All the thing, the insane things that people do to themselves, and and ardent in pursuit of wives and goods, they starve themselves of nourishment. Some hang themselves, or leap into the void, or eat bad food, or swallow deadly poison out of their misery, or by their evil conduct bring destruction on themselves. But when afflictions uh, affliction seizes them, oh, for when affliction seizes them, they kill themselves the selves they love so much. So how could they not be the cause of pain and suffering for others? Basically, people do insane things. Right? They just don't understand. If we're willing to harm ourselves, just it's easy to understand how we could harm others. And here's another good logic. <clears throat> if those who are like wanton children are by nature prone to injure others. That is, if they're just bad, mean-spirited people, what point is there in being angry, like resenting fire for its heat? It's just their nature. They don't know. That's just who they are. You might think of one or two people who, you know, fit your template on the world stage, you know. They, They just, that's... You know, if somebody is really out there, that's just who they are. He says, what point is there in being angry? That's a big order, okay? Like resenting fire for its heat. And here's the reverse, the other side of the logic. And if their faults are fleeting and and contingent, if living beings are by nature wholesome, if they're basically good people, It's likewise senseless to resent them. As well be angry at the sky for having clouds. So he's saying, if there's somebody who's really mean-spirited, they just don't know any better. You know, what's, what's the point in getting yourself whipped up? And if somebody is basically good and they do something that's like an aberration, that's a fleeting, you know, lapse, well, what's the sense in getting completely stressed out when you know, oh, they're just basically good people. This is like, you know, expanded perspective, isn't it? Basically, it's saying there's no real villains in this. It's just ignorance. I'll read just a little bit more and then we'll close. This human form is like a running sore 
Merely touched, it cannot stand the pain. I'm the one who clings to it with blind attachment. Whom should I resent when pain occurs? It's kind of saying, we're so sensitive. You know, it's my uptightness that causes me as much pain as what other people do to me. And then the last few verses. Those who harm me come against me, summoned by my own karma. But they will be the ones who go to hell, and so it is, it is, so it is my, myself who bring their ruin. Now, this is really a stretch of logic. My karma, for them to do this to me, if I'm patient, they're the ones that suffer. Oh, sorry about that, you know. But I'm not. Because of them and through the exercise of patience, my many sins are cleansed and purified. But they will be the ones who, thanks to me and my karma, will have the long-drawn agonies of hell. (laughs) Therefore, I am their tormentor. Therefore, it is they who bring me benefit. Thus, with what perversity, pernicious mind, will you be angry with your enemies? What an interesting way to look at your adversaries. Thank you for teaching me patience. I'm so sorry that you're going to be in a hell realm for a while because of what you've done. That elicits a lot of compassion, right? For if, the last verses, for if a patient quality of mind is mine, I shall avoid the pains of hell. But though indeed I save myself, what of my foes, what fates in store for them? If I repay them harm for harm, Indeed, they'll not be saved thereby, and all my noble actions will be spoiled. Austerity of of patience brought to nothing. So retaliation doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help them. It doesn't help us. And we can see our adversaries as um, teachers in tolerance. So um, just for a moment, I know it's just about time, think for a moment the people who are hardest for you, imagine looking at them as your great teachers, feeling compassion for the pain that they are bringing on to themselves, and appreciation for what you're learning or the possibility of what you're learning through the encounters. Imagine seeing them in this light. Well, thank you. Because hatred never ceases by hatred. Hatred ceases only by love. This is an ancient and eternal law, said the Buddha. So in this space, we'll just close for the evening. Breathe in some benevolent energy from around you. Let it fill your whole being. Breathe out and send that, radiate that energy out. How fortunate we all are to share the Dharma, want to wake up. May I see through my angers and confusion and develop tolerance, understanding, and patience. 
may I have enough space so that I can feel all the love that's inside and, and share it well. May I see clearly, see my true nature, and help awaken that in others. And then sending these thoughts out to everybody here, to all beings in all directions, especially on this September 11th, as a reminder, where so much pain comes from ignorance, so much pain comes from anger and hatred on the receiving end, on the retaliating end, all causes and conditions. May all beings see through their confusion. May all see through their hatred and anger and feel the love that's inside and share it well. May all know their true nature and help awaken everyone they know. And may our coming here together be of benefit for ourselves, for everyone we know, and for all beings everywhere. May all beings everywhere be happy and have peace in their lives. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Have a great week. Have a great couple of weeks and enjoy Aaron next week. See you in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.